and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talked to Dr. Joanne O'Meara from Royal City Science and Dr. Heather Slynn from 500 Women Scientists Guelph. They're both professors at the University of Guelph. And we're also talking to Laura Cody from Guelph Museums. We're going to take a week off from the politics of electing and installing a new city council to talk about science. Well, science, technology, engineering, and math, which represent the four letters that make up STEM, which is the subject of a new exhibit at the Guelph Civic Museum. In Iron Willed, Women in STEM, you can travel through the history of science and engage with all of the great women that have achieved big wins in the field, while also overcoming tremendous social and societal barriers that were thrown in front of them, even in the 21st century. Getting to know great women in STEM is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. From Marie Curie to Donna Strickland, the history of women in science has not just been a story about the advancement of scientific understanding and knowledge, it's also been a story about social progress. Consider Harriet Brooks, the first Canadian woman to become a nuclear physicist. She was literally a contemporary of Curie's, but when she became engaged to a physics professor from Columbia University in 1906, the dean of her school at Barnard College told her, quote, Whenever your marriage does take place, it ought to end your official relationship with the college, unquote. In other words, she was getting married, so why would she want to be a scientist anymore? That sounds old-fashioned, but even now, 115 years later, still only 20% of people receiving physics degrees are women, which is the lowest of all the physical sciences. Modern Harriets, Anne Marie's, and even Donna's struggle to stand out, and they struggle to find mentorship and support from professors and researchers who understand what it's like for a woman in the still male-dominated world of physics. But now we can all understand the struggle with the Iron World exhibit. It originated from Ingeum, the triumvirate of the Canada Agricultural and Food Museum, the Canada Aviation and Space Museum, and the Canada Science and Technology Museum, which are all in Ottawa. It was adapted for Guelph with information about Guelph scientists by Laura Cody, who is the Collections and Research Coordinator with Guelph Museums. Cody consulted with Dr. Joanne O'Meara from the University of Guelph's Physics Department on the local angle. O'Meara is a science promoter with Royal City Science, at least when she's not teaching and or helping to find water on Mars. And to complete her own triumvirate on this show is Dr. Heather Slim, who also investigates soil, but she does it right here on Earth as a microbial ecologist, also at the U of G. So with all that brain power on this week's edition of the Guelph Politicast, we will explore the deeper meaning and messages of the Iron Willed exhibit by talking about the highlights of the exhibit, how it was made Guelph-friendly, and some of the interesting things you will learn when you visit. We will also talk about the difficulties in getting more women into scientific fields, why the struggle starts long before the first year of university, and how the systemic rules of what is and isn't a job for women still play a big role in 2022. And finally, we will discuss the best ways to support women in STEM, the key takeaways from the Iron Build exhibit, and messages of encouragement from three successful women to the younger selves and the young women who want to grow up to be just like them. So I caught up with Dr. Joanne O'Meara, Dr. Heather Slynn, and Laura Cody last week via Zoom. Let's introduce the panel, which is something I never thought I'd say because I see it on cable news all the time. But let's start with uh, 
uh, Dr. Joanne O'Meara. Good morning, Joanne. Good morning, Adam. And then I will introduce your colleague, Dr. Heather Slynn. Good morning, Heather. Good morning. And last but certainly not least um, is Laura Cody from Guelph Museums. Laura, good morning to you. Good morning. All right. So just so everyone can sort of get where, uh, I guess, maybe without reading off your resumes verbatim, but if, if I could just ask each of you to give like a quick intro about who you are and, and, and uh, what you do and, and how you're involved in this project. And so let's go in reverse order uh, from the intro. Laura, uh, why don't you tell us about your work through Guelph Museum on the, the Iron Will project? So I'm the collections and research coordinator at Guelph Museums which means usually I'm working behind the scenes with the collection objects, with our donors, with our researchers. Uh, But the Iron Worlds exhibition was an opportunity to stretch the other side of the work that I do, which is the public side, uh, and bringing the stories that we usually have in our collections and with our community members and presenting them to the community. Excellent. So Heather, why don't you tell us about uh, your work? Yeah, so I'm a, a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Guelph. Um, I am a microbial ecologist uh, by training, and uh, I am working kind of in collaboration with industry for my postdoc, but um, I also am very um, involved in women in STEM initiatives, and I help uh, manage a, a women in STEM organization in town called 500 Women Scientists Guelph. And actually that's how I met Laura was she reached out to us for this um, exhibit uh, to get local women uh, featured at the museum. Perfect. And so Joanne, uh, tell us about you. (laughs) So I am a professor in the department of physics at the university of Guelph. I've been there uh, just 20 years this past summer, which is crazy how time flies. Um, And so uh, being a woman in physics, um, it's a, it's still unfortunately a very male dominated field of, of the sciences or STEM science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Um, So the issue of uh, gender equality in STEM is something that is important to me as a female physicist. Um, but I, so I do a lot of community-based outreach uh, as part of my, my mission at the University of Guelph in the physics department. And I've worked with the uh, Guelph Civic Museum in the past to run programming for elementary school students. So in 2018 and 2019, we ran something called STEM Week, which was for visiting elementary school students Uh, ran all week. Um, The last week of our fall semester, we had like 750 kids come through. Um, It was awesome. So I know the the Guelph Civic Museum um, team, the amazing Guelph Civic Museum team. So when when this uh, exhibit was coming from Ottawa to be stationed at Guelph for a few months, um, Dawn connected me with with Laura um, and we I just started throwing some names and, and organizations out to Laura as you know someone who's been involved in this field for a while so that's kind of how it all got kicked off. Don, of course, being uh, Don Owen, the big boss at Guelph Museums. Exactly. Yes, Don's, Don's our awesome. curator. Yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, Laura, I wanted to start uh, sort of digging into the exhibit um, from your end, which is you're the curator on this, um, but you're also, you're trying to make you, you know, your goal was to have something that was Guelph centric too, but this is also a traveling exhibition. So you kind of inherit certain pieces as well. So can you just talk about that logistically in terms of how you take something that was 
essentially curated by someone else, but then put your own sort of local flourish on it. Mm -hmm. So traveling exhibitions are such an amazing opportunity to bring stories that we wouldn't usually tell in our museum to our community. Um, as the collections and research coordinator, my goal is always to get the collections out there and share what we have sort of in our vault. Uh, and this exhibition was very much not doing that. It was about finding a story that we didn't have in our collection and making an opportunity to share that. Uh, so the Iron World exhibition was produced by NGM, which is three museums in Ottawa, the Agricultural and Food Museum, the Aviation and Space Museum, and the Science and Technology Museum. So they put together an absolutely amazing exhibition that looks at past and present women uh, and the amazing things that they've done in STEM fields and how that work has really elevated and improved to things that we're doing over the course of time. Uh, and the exhibition also talks about the barriers that they faced historically and present day doing that work and how they have changed and affected the way those barriers are impacting people, but also how those barriers are still in place. Uh, barriers based on gender, barriers based on background, barriers based on education and age, lots of different barriers. Um, the exhibition is both a look at how that affects things, but also an inspirational step into all the amazing work that these people have done. Uh, and we thought that, first of all, is just a great story that needs to have a place in our community because everyone can relate to that sort of tale. But as the Guelph Museums, we want to tell local stories as well. And with the university and with so many amazing people doing really wonderful work, STEM is an important conversation for our community. So it was a great opportunity to reach out and find local people doing amazing things and discussing what they're doing today and how that impacts the way that STEM is in the present day. And I want to talk about some of those barriers in a sec, but I, I kind of want to talk about what, I, I guess the makeup and, and Heather, your group, uh, 500 women in STEM, I, I I take it that's not sort of a reflective uh, title in terms of how many women uh, locally are involved in the STEM field, whether that's at the university or in, you know, private industry. So, um, you know, do we have a handle on, I guess, demographically, how many, you know, looking at a lot of these, and maybe, maybe it's not an exact number and maybe nobody has that exact number, but when we're talking about how many women are working, men are working in STEM, in Guelph and how many women are working in STEM in Guelph? Do we have some idea about that? Oof, I, um, oh, I, I don't, maybe Joanna is better situated since she's been here for longer than me to, to answer that question. I think it's very field specific in terms of which STEM field you're working on. So for mm. instance, me being in the School of Environmental Science, we have much better gender representation than what I would assume engineering, physics and math do. Mm. That's interesting is, you know, you're a microbiologist, you know, is, I, I guess I'm curious if there's like some sort of, I guess, thinking or, you know, sort of some sort of instinct that maybe drives women to certain science, scientific fields and not others. Like if this is Absolutely. maybe one of the barriers we're talking about. Yeah. And I think, and I think again, Joanne might have something to say about this, but, but I think a lot of it has to do with kind of um, the stories that we tell girls and women and other um, non-binary folks about what people, what skills people are good at and what we see people doing. And this was the nice thing that you saw, or if, if anyone's been um, to the Guelph Museum exhibit about uh, Iron, 
iron-willed women in STEM will see it. You know, we they talk about uh, these kinds of biases that that we kind of uphold through society. And so I think, for instance, you know, women aren't good at math or mm. men are better at math mm-hmm. is kind of perpetuated. And so, and so that's why, like, you know, maybe there tends to be more women in biology related fields. Mm-hmm. Well, Joanne, Heather kind of put the uh, spotlight on you then. And uh, you, you said it earlier, you're, you're a physicist, which is still very male dominated. Um, what, you know, maybe you can talk about your own personal experience. Well, what makes a difference for you um, that you pushed on in, 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 you know, meeting those challenges and overcoming them and maybe where you could see other women might be dissuaded? Yeah, I'm, I guess maybe my initial re- answer is I'm stubborn. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, no, it's I'm, I'm making light of it, but it is actually a very serious issue and something that um, deeply concerns me. And I actually wrote a piece on my blog back in March for the um, there's an international day of women in science and engineering. And I wrote an article basically saying I have very conflicted emotions about this day because um, I've been in this field for more than 20 years now, um, when I was uh, in high school and I was an undergrad, you know, I was one of very few women in my classes in in undergrad um, and in grad school. And um, there's 20 odd faculty in our department and uh, three of us are women, um, which is actually a high percentage (laughs) for my field. Um, And there's actually a a recent, a 2019 report um, from the uh, Ontario Network of Women in Engineering looking at uh, the the leaky pipeline, as it's called. Um, So the stats from that report, I just have it up on my screen in front of me right now. And so everyone has to take grade 10 science um, in Ontario. So it's a 50-50 split in grade 10 science, um, male, female. Grade 11 physics, uh, it becomes 40-60%. So 60% of the class male, 40% female. Then when you look at grade 12 physics, um, it's 34%, 66%. So we've already gone to two thirds, one third by the time we get to grade 12 physics. Um, And in first year university, whether you look at engineering or you look at physics, both of which require that that grade 12 physics course in high school, it becomes an 80-20 split um, in first year. Uh, And by the time you look at licensed engineers, it's 11 to 89 percent women and men. So uh, hugely still male dominated. 30 years since I was an undergrad. Uh, and, and it's a personal story to me too, because I have a daughter who's currently in grade 12, um, who is in my biased opinion, um, perfectly capable and, and intelligent in physical sciences and math. And yet uh, she's not taking grade 12 physics. She's one that has been lost from the leaky pipeline between grade 11 and grade 12. and. And it saddens me deeply that we are still talking about this in 2022. On a scale of one to 10, how disappointed are you in her? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> she knows I love her deeply. <laughs> good. <laughs> that's, that's good. <laughs> Heather, um, I'm going to work my way back to Laura, um, but, but I want to come back to you, Heather, because some of the things we're talking about here, and, and I was looking up, some of the people who are featured in the exhibit and the one that comes to mind is Harriet Brooks, who in the late 19th century has some of that, you know, chutzpah that Joanne's talking about to go into the physics field. And at that point, you know, 
women rarely went to university at all. And she's like going into physics, nuclear physics. And uh, according to this one story I read, she was told by a professor, it's like, you know, she was like looking to go into her senior year. And and the professor says, well, you know, you're already engaged. Why do you need to keep becoming a physicist? And you, you hear like, you hear the details of that story that feels so anachronistic, but I think there's an emotion and, and there's a, and a feeling behind that story that still perseveres in, in sort of the, the subconscious of, you know, a lot of men, a lot of women, you know, you're a woman. Why do you want to be a physicist? Um, and it, there's kind of no rhyme or reason to it. It's just, it's just there, right? This is, this is kind of a systemic thing, right? Absolutely systemic. Yeah. I'm curious then, you know, and again, you're not a physicist, so I won't uh, have you speak for all physicists, but it, it, in terms of like, maybe how you deal with it, you know, and, and how do you over, how do you overcome that if someone, you know, whether consciously, subconsciously is throwing up these barriers, like, why do you have to do X, right? Yeah, I, um, so I, I absolutely have received some of those negative, um, comments, especially around statistics. So as an ecologist, I use statistics a lot, um, just because of the nature of my field and and the influence of environmental variation on on experiments and things like that. Mm. Um, And, and so, yeah, I've experienced a lot of comments about, you know, as as a, as a leader, uh, helping graduate students uh, with statistical analysis and course formats and how um, I, I should be replaced by a man uh, once I received an entire list of white men in my department that I needed to re- be replaced with, and the person telling me this was a woman. Right. Um, so for me, how I cope with that is like, one, I, I'm obviously like really annoyed. And so there, there has to be, a, there's got to be some calm down time for me. So like, it's like, yes, I, I give myself space to kind of relax and let it pass through my brain. But I also use like other women as a support or a sounding board, right? And so this is what I, what is really great about this women in STEM organization that we have in Guelph is that if something happens at work, um, you know, or outside of the workplace, it's like I can go to my support group and say, hey, this happened to me. I'm really upset about it. Mm. And I can get like that reassurance that that like it's it's not me it's the system or you know so the support network piece and the social piece for me to move past those things is really important Mm -hmm. and laura um you talked about how the exhibit is sort of meant to highlight the challenges but also inspire and um thinking of poor harriet here um (laughs) you know it, it is it is that right it's there was something inspiring that in, a, in an age when a woman couldn't even vote and couldn't do all types of things, she persevered at least to um, to the degree of, of you know undergraduate studies in a complicated field like nuclear physics. But I'm wondering when you're presenting all this information, uh, how do you balance sort of the the inspiring elements of a story and the kind of like I guess ooh gross parts of the story of, you know, someone who should be a mentor to her and encouraging her saying, Hey woman, you're about to get married. No more physics for you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That is such a struggle whenever you're developing anything like this. Um, And I have to 
uh, just nod my head at the experts at NGM who traveled that very difficult route very, very well. Um, what they did with their traveling portion of the exhibition was highlight as many people as they honestly could, just put their faces out there, put out their amazing uh, achievements, tell everybody who's reading the uh, information how their achievements have affected things as time has moved forward, really place them in that timeline of expertise and how they have affected our community and our world, uh, and showing that their contributions were essential for the field and for everything that we've done as a society. Um, but also next to that, having a discussion about um, the biases that they had to face. Uh, what it's not even necessarily someone saying to them, you're a woman, you can't do these things, but also your subconscious biases and explaining what that means. Are you subconsciously biased? There's a little um, test that you can do just to see, you know, where do you fall on that scale of someone who's actively thinking about these things or not actively thinking about these things? Um, the way NGM decided to move forward with this conversation was to offer opportunities for the visitors in that room to really think about just what it means to have to endure that sort of uh, discrimination uh, and have to navigate a world in which you do have to come against these barriers, but also to identify what these barriers are because they are systemic in our society. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're walking up to a wall that says this is a barrier. Mm -hmm. It sometimes means that things are put in place to make those barriers very invisible. So the NGM team has really tried to highlight what that means but also really show the people who persevered around them and highlight the points very, very quietly um, because there's a lot of text, there's a lot of stories. So you can't get into an in-depth history of every single person, um, but showing how every single person in that room did overcome these barriers uh, in amazing and wonderful ways. And we remember them for the work that they've done, not because of the barriers they had to come across. Right. Is it hard though to separate the barriers though from the success i mean and it, it you know it, it also it makes me think a conversation i had with members of the accessibility committee at the city of guelph a couple of weeks ago where they talk about people with disabilities either being put on a pedestal or uh, you know kind of being brushed aside and you know I, I not that i'm putting any blame on you or anything but you know it is is that a, a, a consideration too that we're putting maybe some women on a pedestal and there are other women who are just like quietly doing their work every day. Not that, you know, mm -hmm. the women in the exhibit aren't worthy, but um, we're, we're highlighting the few cases where some women were able to vault the, the, the barriers put in their path when there are a lot of women who, again, like poor Harriet, you know, mm -hmm. did, did eventually meet a barrier that she couldn't get up over. Ultimately, I think that's always how it's going to be. And uh, we try our best to highlight as many people as we can. But at the end of the day, I highlight 25 people in Guelph right. who are doing amazing work. They are doing absolutely amazing work that I can't fully comprehend in any way, shape or form. Uh, but there are so many more than 25 people. And I highlighted those 25 people because they're the ones who answered my emails. Not because they're particularly uh, special or above everybody else, but because I had a deadline that I was trying to work around. Fair um, enough. <laughs> and I, I think I've highlighted some really wonderful people. Um, but if I had had 10 years to put this together, I would have highlighted hundreds more. Fair enough. Um, yeah, don't get me started about deadlines. But Joanne, I want to come back to you. Um, because something Heather said to me, you know, 
she she depends on statistics and you know a lot of scientists do statistics are not biased statistics well i guess we could get into that but you know <laughs> you know data it, the whole point of data driven decision is that it, it we, we consider that unbiased we consider that kind of uh, ob- objective uh, inputs and information to making a decision things like misogyny though and sexism are not data driven um, they're emotional driven and i guess so you know how how does you how do you as a scientist sort of circle that square that you know it you're you're trying to overcome barriers that are emotionally and subjectively driven in a field that is all about objective realities and data-based decision making yeah so um i mean i guess you chip away where you can um i'm one person um and and i you know strive to make a difference in my students life lives by being a role model to those who may be looking for um, a role model that they can identify with um, and just trying to highlight as best I can respectfully, collegially um, to my colleagues when I see a situation where maybe some unconscious bias is slipping in um, to, you know, try and call that, call that out sounds bad, but, you know, try and identify the situation and, and, and bring it to the fore. Um, You know, again, I'm one person, this is an, this is an issue that is, it is absolutely systemic. It is a situation where from day one, um, society looks to little girls and to little boys differently and has different expectations around what they are capable of, what do they gravitate towards. Um, and that is something that starts from pre-K uh, and runs all the way through. Um, and I'm not saying it's, it's schools, it's everything. It's, you know, your family members, it's your meeting, you know, friends and family on the street. And it, it's just, it's insidious and it's, everywhere and is going to take a long time to address. And I wish we were further along. (laughs) Um, And I think I should say we have made strides. Absolutely. We have made strides in many fields. As I said, physics and engineering and computer science and math are still hugely underrepresented. But uh, an example is actually... um, this is a study that's been going on for 50 years. Uh, it's called the Draw a Scientist Study. And they ask elementary school uh, and high school students to do just that, draw a scientist. Um, and there's more to it than that. But they draw a scientist and they look at, uh, among boys and girls, who draws a male scientist, who draws a female scientist. Um, back in the late 60s, early 70s, 1% of students drew a female scientist um, in 2016. Sorry, that was girls who drew a female scientist. Uh, in 2016, 58% of girls drew a female scientist. So mm. that's that's a huge, you know, as one measure, we have made progress in the perception of who can do science. But as I said, I think um, there's still, we have still have a long way to go in many disciplines within that very broad umbrella. It's, it's also probably maybe more of a common problem than just in science. And yeah, I'm thinking about uh, in politics, draw a politician. Yep. It's normally an old white guy. Yep. And then the, the reverse, draw a nurse. 
Yeah. Draw a teacher, yeah. uh, draw an elementary school teacher. Uh, and there is the perception that those are the fields that women should gravitate to or should be better at. Um, and, and it's like I said, it's, it's not just science. Yeah, you're right. And it is from much earlier than university that, I mean, and we've lost, we've lost women by the time they get to first year, they've right. checked out of the sciences by grade nine, 10, 11, um, if not before. Mm -hmm. So Heather, again, asking uh, about some of these systemic concerns, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just processing what Joanna said by the time, you know, young women get to university, it, it's probably too late for them. So perhaps this isn't a, a, a systemic problem at the university level to solve. But I'm going to ask you about the University of Guelph um, anyway, which, which is, you know, they recently passed or introduced this uh, anti-racism initiative, a, a way to sort of break down barriers of systemic racism at the university level. And I would never say that's not a good idea, but um should we not maybe be then be looking at uh, how to increase uh, the or, or increase the number of women in some of these fields? And again, the University of Guelph is a leader in some of these fields, and perhaps should that not be uh, an equally important direction um, as you know where we're sitting right now in 2022? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we should be increasing um, the the various categories of representation in, in STEM fields. And, and I do, you know, yes, I think some of this um, leaking out of women happens in high school, but, you know, it continues to happen, right, all the way through um, academia, all the way up to professor levels. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's super complicated. Um, and, you know, one, one strategy that, uh, people use to try to challenge these biases in, in people that, that have these influences over, over students at the university is through training, mm. um, right? And, and, and training people about, about their biases um, because I think once you recognize um, uh, these uh, constructs and you know, these this is systemic ideas that we hold in society, once you recognize that you can start to see them play out in front of you. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, it's, it's a long learning process, right? Because we're all steeped in these ideas that society has trained us. And, and you know, and I'm not perfect. Uh, and there are certain aspects uh, that, that I am still constantly working on. But, but yeah, trying to motivate uh, professors, uh, sessionals, um, hire admin uh, to constantly be thinking about these issues and and be making actual actual change is um, is just an ongoing issue. Mm -hmm. I guess maybe one way to address that, Laura, is the exhibit, and I'm wondering, you know, you work at the museum, so maybe you see it a bit more um, when when people are checking out uh, Iron Will, and feel free to. Uh, if you don't pay attention, feel free to tell me otherwise. But, you know, when you when you see people coming out of the ex exhibit, is there a difference in the reaction of men and boys as opposed mm -hmm. to women and girls? Or are they maybe taking away the same lessons? I have to admit, I work on the back end. So I'm right. not a frontline person uh, who's engaging with every visitor to come through. 
Um, but we have seen some really amazing feedback this exhibition. Uh, part of the things that I built into that space were three uh, community response boards. So there's a cork board, a chalkboard, and a whiteboard. And each is asking um, the, the visitors a different question. What really, really draws out the stories is the one that says, who inspires you? Mm. And the number of times different staff members and myself have been able to stand there with somebody and just talk about who they're inspired by, whether or not they're women, whether or not they're even people. I had a lovely conversation with a small child who's inspired by her cat. Uh, and I truly, truly value that few moments of my life. Um, but <laughs> people are spending time to sit down and really think and to write and to share and to converse. And if that is what people are getting out of this exhibition, then I think we've really done a good job. Uh, just getting everybody to stop for a moment to think is what our goal was. Uh, and I think we have definitely done that for some people. Mm -hmm. And Joanne, you're also involved in the Royal City Science Initiative. Um, and I, I talked to your colleague there, uh, Orbax, so I guess a couple of years ago when I was getting going. And, you know, I remember thinking to myself, this seems like such a no-brainer in terms of a, <laughs> a, a concept, given uh, where we are and 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 what sits atop the hill and its its importance to the city. But I'm wondering, it, celebrating science a bit more publicly with a hub like the the proposed center, um, does that you know would that have maybe more of an uh, or maybe not more of an impact than the exhibit? But you know, would that have a, a sort of a more ongoing impact? to sort of like have this place every day that is all about science and is welcoming to everybody and is, you know, celebrating the fields and, you know, maybe it makes it more omnipresent, at least locally in the minds of uh, young women who are interested in the sciences. Absolutely. Um, science is a is an experimental discipline by definition. Um, and to me, as an experimental physicist, um, it is so important to be able to play and get your hands on equipment and try things and say, hmm, I wonder what would happen if I did this. Well, let's do it and see what happens. And does that make sense? And well, okay, cool. That then leads to this question and that question. And as Heather knows, as, as an experimental scientist as well, that's why we go into science. That's what we love about it is all these unknown questions and you fall down a rabbit hole of, oh, cool. I didn't think that was going to happen. Now, what do I do? Um, and really, that what is what, I mean, if you've ever interacted with any four-year-old, they're all inherently scientists, right? Every right. single one of them wants to know what happens if I do this? What happens? Why, why does something fall when I drop it out of my high chair? Okay, that's younger than four. <laughs> but it's, it's all science. And so really, we want a permanent home in the city for everyone from four to 104 to be able to come on a Saturday afternoon and play and pick up a piece of equipment and say, what does this do? Hmm, cool. All right, let's try this um, and have those experts kind of roving around and, you know, prompting kind of, you know, why don't you try that? Oh, that's cool. Why don't you do this and answering questions and, um, and representing all the disciplines and being absolutely as accessible and inclusive as we possibly can. I think the big thing is um, 
unfortunately, kids don't get enough opportunity to play and tinker anymore. Right. And, and that is something that we really want to be able to offer to the community, um, that space to go and play and explore and ask those crazy questions and, and see where it takes you um, and be able to like, go on a field trip that you don't have to drive two hours into Toronto on a bu school bus and go to the Ontario Science Centre and spend a few hours there and then spend two hours trekking back again. I mean, um, I agree. It's to me a complete no brainer that there should be a permanent home like this in our city. Um, we've had some amazing conversations. Nobody has opened up their pocketbook and given us $10 million yet, unfortunately. But, you know, we keep talking and we keep meeting and we keep, you know, applying for grants and, and we're chipping away. But we're making great progress. I feel like there's momentum and I'm super excited. I think this is absolutely a no brainer for the community. Well, so do I. I. Unfortunately, if I write you a check for $10 million and you couldn't cash it until twenty two fifty seven, but um, <laughs> that's uh, that's my problem. But I'm, I'm going to do kind of a, a get everybody's take on this next question. And I'll start with Heather. Um, if you could go back in time and tell your younger self or give your younger self some advice about being a woman in the scientific fields as, as like words of encouragement or, or words of um I don't want to say warning, but, you know, sort of words of the challenge, like talking about the challenges a younger you will face when, when they become the current you, um, what advice would you give? Um, yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, and actually something I've been thinking about a lot recently, just because I'm kind of at this point in my career where I'm getting ready for the next step. Um, and I think one of the things that I would tell young Heather is to do what she thinks is right, despite what the adults in the room are telling her. Mm hmm. Interesting. Laura, you are a uh, practitioner of the museum arts, uh, the museum sciences. So, you know, I'll ask you the same question. You know, what would you tell your younger self about? Uh, th their chosen career field? Sure. Um, museums are one of those amazing places that bring people with so many different skill sets all together to do so many different things. You wear a million hats when you work in a museum, uh, which means a million different people with different interests are interested in working in a museum. Um, so the one thing I'd say to my younger self is you have to be stubborn. If you want to be here, you have to really set yourself down and find a path and work towards it, even though it seems incredibly, ridiculously hard, uh, even though it's people are telling you it's not the smartest thing to do. If that's what you need to do, then you need to be stubborn and do it. And Joanne, what would you tell young Joanne? Young Joanne? Uh, well, I, I mean, I teach <laughs> a lot of young Joanne, so... Uh, <laughs> And I have two young girls or youngish girls. Um, ultimately, and I know this sounds really kind of hokey, but just follow what you love and don't worry about anything really. Like just, just continue on, just do what you're enjoying. I mean, I kind of had a bit of a circuitous path to get into physics in, in the first place. Um, at, in high school, I did really well in physics and math, but uh, very much was being advised to go into medicine. Um, uh, and so in first year university at McMaster, I went to Mac because I didn't have to choose what science, I just knew it was science so I could had another year to think about it. Um, and so I was still very much thinking, but you know, biological sciences in first year, that's kind of 
what I was being not pushed, but advised. And first year biology and me just did not <laughs> gel. Um, and I had the opportunity to work with a professor after first year in the physics department in a, in a field that I didn't even know existed, which was medical physics, um, which kind of combined my skills in physics and, and math with uh, the, the medical field. Um, and he was a fantastic mentor and advisor. He ended up being my PhD supervisor down the road. Um, and I, I don't know where I would have ended up if I hadn't kind of connected with him um, because I didn't have the confidence as as a 18 year old girl to say the hell with this I can do this I'm good at this I'm gonna see what happens um, and he kind of gave me a little bit of a push in that in that and so uh, I would go back to that 16 year old girl and say just just try it. Like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Maybe you fail. So what? Then you switch into something else and find out what you, what you enjoy there. Like it's, we have, we put so much pressure on ourselves when we're at that point in our lives. And I have a 17 year old daughter right now. So I, I see it daily. Um, we, we think we're supposed to have it all figured out because that's what everyone's telling us. Well, what are you going to do at university? Like you're supposed to know. Um, and I think it's just relax. Like just you're 15, you're 16, you're 17, you're not supposed to have it all figured out. Just what do you enjoy? What are you doing well at? Keep going, see where it leads. Who knows where it's going to lead, but it's much better approach to things than saying, I want to end up here. So I'm going to try and, you know, because I don't know, I don't know that you ever actually end up there when you start planning this at, at 15, or maybe some people do, but that hasn't been my experience. I find it interesting that we have three women scientists here and all of their advice is believe in yourself and follow your gut. <laughs> Just I mean, apropos it's, of it's nothing. So, it's kind of, you know, so fundamental, but, but honestly, I think, and that's the studies show that when you compare boys and girls at the developmental process, the boys, they, they've got the self-confidence, they've got the self-efficacy. That's right. The girls don't. And that makes such a huge difference. Um, and, and we really uh, systemically need to address that more than I think anything. I think that's uh, fair. Maybe to wrap up, um, I'll do another quick round the, the table as it were about um since you're you're on my screen so i'll let you go first joanne about uh, a female scientist and it could be someone in the exhibit or it could be someone not in the exhibit but you know a female scientist that inspires you and uh, is maybe a, a an example to you and has inspired and you know oh any, my goodness anything there's along so those lines yeah, yeah. <laughs> there i mean there's so many i when when laura reached out to me um for names i'm like oh my god <laughs> how, how many you want um so yeah i mean i have had such the privilege uh and honor of working with amazing women colleagues um in physics across disciplines um across institutions uh i don't know where to begin to name a contemporary um to look back historically uh although she's probably the most obvious choice i have to say that mary curie um blows my mind in terms of what she accomplished and also i guess probably being a medical 
theoretical physicist. She is is very closely related to my discipline. Um, I mean, she's essentially a founder of my discipline. Um, and so looking at what she was able to accomplish in the late, late 1800s, early 1900s, um, her father-in-law was the primary caregiver for her children so that she could run her own research institution. Um, she was the first woman to become a professor at at a prestigious institution. I mean, the list goes on and on. She div- she drove ambulances in the war uh, that were equipped with with um, you know X-ray measurement systems that X-rays were only just discovered like a few years before. And off she is in an ambulance driving around battlefields doing X. I mean, it's just insane. Um, so yeah, I would absolutely say Mary Curie is is a phenomenal inspiration she's the only person in history to have two Nobel prizes in two different disciplines no one's ever done it since um yeah so uh, but I honestly so many colleagues so many amazing women at the University of Guelph at McMaster which is kind of my home institution for my undergrad my PhD um but also some key male allies um Mm. who you know being in a very male-dominated field I don't know that I would have, as I said, I mentioned David Chettle, who was my PhD supervisor. I don't know that I would have navigated the field without those um, important mentors in my life. And I can't rely on finding women in my field to solely provide that mentorship because there aren't enough of us yet, unfortunately. So um, yeah, so many amazing people who have helped me get to where I am today. Okay. Heather, who inspires you? Yeah, I, I, I really like Joanne's answer. Um, because <laughs> if you know, like, if you think about the crazy barriers that these women like in the 1800s were going through and earlier and after, it is wild because I am already so frustrated by the barriers I'm experiencing in 2022. So, so much respect for those women. Um, but I like, I also want to just highlight, like, I think for me, um, the people that were involved in my early stages of education and, and getting me involved in, in science and supporting me at those super early ages um, were just, you know, I still think about when I'm making decisions in the lab and I'm doing, I'm thinking about the people that trained me really. Um, and so they're, you know, one of my favorite women scientists is, is a woman who I helped her open her lab um, as I was her technician when she started at the University of Houston. And I learned so much from her about how to manage a lab and how to organize your students and, um, and just the attitude. I love to be funny. I love to laugh. I want to joke around, you know, when I'm not like, even when I'm working, but but it's that environment of creating like a super fun space to be around people is, is, it was just a great way to model to me, like how you can do research. Well, speaking of super fun spaces, I saved Laura for last purposely because she put up the exhibit. So she probably has 10 people she can name oh, off right off the top. Yes. <laughs> but I, I'll ask you to choose one. <laughs> oh, just one. Um, you know, I had the chance to sit down with, so many of the ladies who we are highlighting and have really in-depth conversations with all of them, um, the generosity that these ladies offered their time and so much of it to me to help create this exhibition just blew me away. 
Um, but the one conversation that still stands out to me months after the whole thing's up on the walls uh, was with one of our youngest participants, Jacqueline Simonson, is a third year undergraduate student in environmental sciences. Uh, and she is, you know, working through her education, figuring out what she wants to do. She's uh, dealing with those barriers and she's also finding the time to really provide mentorship opportunities to youth uh, and to Indigenous youth to mm. invite them into uh, uh, academic environments, show them the joys of science, talk about the barriers that she's encountered and how her experiences can help and inspire them. And I, I remember sitting during that conversation looking at this amazing young lady and just thinking to myself, wow, you were going places. And I just, I can't wait to see where she ends up because she's going to astound all of us. All right. Well, <laughs> we'll keep an eye out for her then. Uh, but for now, I'll thank the three of you for your generosity uh, and your time today uh, to talk about uh, these important issues. And uh, the, the exhibit is ongoing. And uh, can you tell us, Laura, when the exhibit, uh, when the exhibit's last day is so maybe people can rush out? <laughs> I should know this off the top of my head. <laughs> I didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> um, I do believe it's up until February of next Okay, week. perfect. I think it runs until the family day weekend. I think the family day, uh, my, my memory is the family day weekend is the last weekend of the exhibit. All right. <laughs> okay. we, will, we will roll with that. Uh, but uh, Dr. Joanna Mira, Dr. Heather Slynn, and Laura Cody, thank you so much for all your time today. Thank you, Adam. It's really Thanks. good speaking with you all. And once again, that was Dr. Joanne O'Meara, Dr. Heather Slynn, and Laura Cody. You can learn more about Iron-Willed Women in STEM at guelphmuseums.ca and ingenumcanada.org. That's I-N-G-E-N-I-U-M-Canada.org. You can also visit the exhibit in person at the Guelph Civic Museum anytime between now and February 20th, 2023. You can learn more about Royal City Science and their efforts to build a science center in Guelph at royalcityscience.ca, and you can follow 500 Women Scientists Guelph on Twitter at 500 Women Guelph. And that is it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram, or you can send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And finally, for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where we will have a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we'll see you next time.